else had the ability to add to this. Now, that might be a Memorial Day miracle, or it might be your pastor's lack of faith going, oh, it's going to be a skinny crowd today. But either way, we're enjoying the chance to have some really fun friends and family gather for the weekend. Um, I want to finish up a series uh, today uh, talking about God who... Uh, because one of the most important things that we can do in terms of nurturing our own spiritual growth and development is like a growing thesaurus where we learn the character and nature of God. And there's no better way to do that than to understand the, the names of God. Because what the names of God represent is, is sort of the action and, and who God is trying to be in our humanity. Super important concept, but before we get too deep, I want to be super shallow to begin, and that is, do you ever have moments where people go, you look like, or have you ever grown up being called different names from people? Is this a common occurrence? I don't know about you, but I've always wanted to be me, but at every stage of my life, I've always seemed to remind someone of someone else. And it's created a little bit of an insecurity in me, a little bit of an identity crisis, because all along the way, Oh, you look just like. And so I think when I was in middle school, and this is going to date me, uh, um, uh, it was the 80s, and um, there was a show uh, going and um, called um, uh, Silver, what, what, oh, dang. what was it? Silver Spoon. And, 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 and I had the Ricky Schroeder. Oh, and he had this thing, he's like, he went by the Ricker. And that was kind of his player name. And he was like, the Ricker. And I was like, no. That's not. But what was funny is mom seemed, mom seemed to buy into it and find an identical shirt for me to sport in that. And then uh, I kind of grew up trying to establish my, my own identity and grow. But then there was the phase of, oh, you look like the young Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, um, I went with a little more product and a little high and tight, but then we grew into the 90s. And the 90s was all about grunge, and the 90s was all about like changing colors of beards and, and hair. Um, and so then I started getting different lookalikes with Jack Wagner, and I'm like, no, I don't really see the Jack Wagner thing, but I did catch a lot of flack for what was um, accused of maybe a ZZ Top starter kit. Uh, and again, I was always being told who I looked like. There was always another name than the, than the name that I was given. And certainly the one that I've sort of embraced here in this era of life, in this length of hair, is the John Bon Jovi one, which... Uh, <laughs> Uh, for, for different costume parties, I now have different looks. I have 80s John Bon Jovi look. I have 90s John Bon Jovi look. And so it suits me well whenever we're doing yet another costume party. But it's gotten to the point where people don't even say, so I'm in a, going to Starbucks, and usually they ask you for their name. But then I get this. I was like, she didn't ask my name. Uh, and, you know, the guy at the other end of the counter is like, Bon Jovi? Uh, uh, I was like, I can't win. I just want to be me. Um, I think the, the reality is, is that um, we all play uh, uh, kind of this part in, in our life, and we want to find life that finds significance and meaning. And oftentimes, we get associated with someone, we remind someone of someone else, maybe because they're famous, maybe because they accomplished something, maybe because they did something notable, and that's cool for them. 
But I think in the heart of each and every one of us is to leave our own mark, is to do something meaningful for our life. We are on a perpetual search for significance. And it's only until we can make a name for ourselves that we can actually feel like we achieved something, that we built something. And so people look for significance and meaning and purpose all the time. And some people do it because it's in the things that we make or the things that we build, whether it be houses or we make music or whether we plant gardens or whether we uh, you know, build companies or complete deals or make really good art. There's things that we make or things that we build. And other people would find significance and meaning in the relationships, whether it's the, the family that you're able to grow or the people that you're able to surround yourself with, or maybe it's the patients that you're able to care for, or the clients that aren't just dollar signs, but they're people in whom you can serve and bless. But that's another way that I think people often try and find significance and meaning is the quality of relationship. But then there's other people who go on to find significance and meaning in the, maybe the discoveries they make or in the things that they get to teach or the movements that they start and it creates momentum. Now, I would say this, we aren't always in touch with our search for significance. I think a lot of times what comes out in moments where maybe a disappointment uh, or maybe there's a, a shift in a relationship or some kind of traumatic thing, we start to feel almost like a bankruptcy, emotionally speaking. Like, what is it all worth? Uh, maybe you get laid off. Uh, maybe it's a marriage that, that doesn't pan out. Maybe it's um, some fractured relationship with a prodigal child. And all of a sudden, you start taking kind of an emotional or spiritual inventory. I find this oftentimes when I'm a part of someone's funeral experience, um, it's a time where people take inventory of their life. And they go, what does it all matter? And I think this is a very common question and it's also a really significant, important question to ask. When I was at a church in California, I had three guys who were kind of the senior leadership team and I, they created a position for me and I was the, the family pastor. They hadn't had this position before. And the executive pastor came to me after being there just about three months. And they had done a big event and we had done this family event and added to what was going on. And he was with sort of a proud moment going, I wanna be able to take the credit for hiring you to this team. I, I, we haven't had that kind of ministry to families. And I, you know, it was, it was a very proud moment, someone speaking into my life. I remember we had this operations team and there were seven of us that sat on this team. And I remember another one of the senior leaders, the senior teaching pastor, he came to me and he says, you know, you, uh, I think you have more to offer. And for me, I felt like there was some real talent around the table. There was some real wisdom and experience around the table that I wanted to find my voice more slowly. And he didn't want that. He wanted me to weigh in, which was a great vote of confidence to have someone to go, no, no, no. I don't need less of you, I need more of you. You have more to, but then there was the third senior leader uh, who was the founding pastor and he remarked after me being there about a year and a half, two years or so, and he looked at me and he says, you know, I just thought you'd make a bigger splash. We are perpetually on a search for significance. And sometimes we hear exactly what we need to hear to, to find the confidence we need to, to act on. And other times, people make these flippant comments, and I can't not unhear it now. 
I think this is our story. I think this is our, this is, this is Monday morning. This is, this is how we lead our lives. If you're a parent, you're always trying to speak that kind of value and worth into your kids so that they can have a healthy perspective of themselves, but they can also be grounded. But you know that when they go into certain environments, whether it be the school bus or the locker room at school, or whether it be corporate America, you know people don't play nice. So then you gotta say, well, where? does my significance and meaning come from? Because I'm trying to build a name for myself that others would hold or esteem. And I think maybe part of the problem is, is that I can't build a name for myself without considering the name above all names. Now, I'll get to that in a minute, but there's two stories that I wanna connect the dots on that you might not have thought to, to think about. But I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Tower of Babel. You have in the early chapters of recorded history out of the scriptures, you know, Genesis 1, there's the garden, Genesis 2, it's kind of the creation experience. By Genesis 3, you could be like God and there's this encounter with fruit and everything's fragmented. They go into shame, fear, and regret. And now there's this separation from God. And God has been ever trying to recapture the kind of... Um, intimacy that we had pre-sin entering the world. But then there's the Noah experience and God's going, oh my gosh, this isn't the humanity. How do I preserve this? How do I sustain this? But he ends up flooding the whole world. After the flood, there is this town of Babel <laughs> and they start building a huge tower. And what's really fascinating is to look that their whole search was based in fear and their whole search was for significance. Let me read a couple of verses out of Genesis chapter 11. And it's the Tower of Babel, which was all about this search for significance. And in verse chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 3, it says this. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used the bricks instead of stone uh, and tar for mortar. What do we have here in early civilization is a breakthrough in technology. Please understand, this is more than a historical account. This is what happens today. When people make progress in technology and innovation, it has a way of giving us a profound level of confidence, maybe even greater than we should. So what's their likelihood? Instead of piling rocks, they've now created a new technology for bricks. We can stack higher. What? And because they're in this search for significance, they're really gathered in fear and they want to create a name for themselves. They want to be, have something that they accomplish, something great, something that all the world will remember them by and honor them by. And so they start building this huge tower. Listen in verse four, it says this. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. It's sort of like a Texan saying, we're going to build a capital in Austin that's just a little bit bigger than the capital in D.C. It's like, we just got to outdo them somehow. Okay, we're going to set the, the bar that much higher, build it to the heavens so that, that we can make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see that the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, um, it's as if one of the people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this. And then nothing they plan uh, to do will be impossible for them. So what does he do? Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they'll not understand each other. I've got to figure out a way to save these people from themselves. 
I had designed a people to be so set apart, but instead they're growing more and more evil and corrupt. And they're trying to make a name for themselves and they've forgotten the author and the creator, the source of life. And so what does he do as an act to protect them? He confuses the languages. And now we are introduced to the idea of multiple languages on earth. And he scatters the people so that in hopes that one of the people groups could be set apart to be light to the rest of them. But if they continue on this path, it's imminent destruction for all of them. God takes a people that were gathered in fear in search of significance who wanted to be like God. And he goes, oh my gosh, the only way we can really salvage this is to confuse the language. You know what's interesting about that? We are living in a time of really rapid growth and development. We are living in an unprecedented time of innovation. It's very easy to think of ourselves as maybe more accomplished or more self-sufficient than we really are. And, and what especially for a Western society, it's really hard to have a growing dependence on God because I can kind of put food on my own table without you. I can put a roof over my head without needing you. I can make friends. I can, I can kind of do family without you. At least that's the lie we believe and we miss the mile markers of God's presence in our life. The builders of Babel were gathered in fear. But if we fast forward to another encounter, another encounter with languages, and that was what we celebrated last Sunday, which was Pentecost. What happened in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, except God, in the power of the Spirit, shows up in a really profound way. And the people here were gathered, and at first there was confusion, but what we read out of this passage is, I think, quite interesting. Now watch what happens if you've ever connected the Tower of Babel where God for our own good separates them by language. Now he comes down and listen what God does through the power of his spirit in Acts chapter 2. The first thing he does is he comes down and it says um, God so filled the disciples that they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them. And then they all were listening and they're like that's like that sounds like my own native tongue except people from all parts of the earth are gathered here and they looked and they heard their own language being spoken so why does why did the spirit fall in power and I would simply say so that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved there was a people that were gathered in fear and God scattered them. But now God is gathering them by faith for those who would call on the name of the Lord. This is really significant for us as people who are in search of significance. And one of the things I wanted to do is look at the only passage where God self-describes. In Exodus 34, we have the only part in scripture where God gives his own self-referential and he talks about, I'm compassionate, I'm gracious, I'm forgiving of wickedness and sin. And all of a sudden we have this beautiful picture of God describing God's self and he says you can give me a lot of names judge wrathful but until we learn the names of God then we get to experience the nature of God 
And this is where I think it gets really significant for us, is that while we all seek to make a difference, we seek to live with meaning, but we simply just try and make a name for ourselves. What I'm trying to do is attach my life with the name above all names, with the name that transcends my name. If there's anything good in me, it's Christ in me. And so what is this new way that we can live into our faith? How can we practice a living faith, not just a Sunday go to church faith? How can we have a faith where we embody the character and the nature of God. And so we talk about things like practicing generosity because God is a generous God. I want to be generous, which makes me not dependent on people's response. I just need to be generous. I need to write the check because that's who God is. I need to give my time. I need to bend over because that's who God is. God sent his son. You know what I'm saying? And so we practice things like hospitality. Sometimes it's making room and sometimes it's learning to receive. But either way, we need to figure out who God's prepared in advance for us. I think the church could be revolutionized by this kind of hospitality or compassion. Giving ourselves in such a way, not just because we're in a good mood, but giving ourselves in such a way, not because we're any different, but because um, we're just as needy. It's just our needs are different. We talk about renewal and we talk about being in community um, with people who are different than ourselves. I think these are the significant ways that we can live into the character and the nature of God. I wonder how many of you know the names of God. If you go through, there's, um, there's probably over a hundred different names of God. I, uh, I've gone through different studies about learning the names of God because I just wanted to build my own sort of thesaurus. Because the more I know the names of God, the more I understand and can orient my expectations to God better. Anyone ever been disappointed with God? Anyone ever looked at God and maybe shook a fist and going, <laughs> and one of the things that I try and do is understand God's character and nature, and that comes through the names of God. So certainly we know him as provider. We might understand him as protector. We might experience him as savior. But there are so many other names of God that I think are really important for us to begin to learn. And I think as we do, we, we start to understand ground zero for our faith is being able to understand who God is. And, and I'll just... Uh, do we have the verse up there from Exodus 34, Bjorn? Let's just close with this verse where he, he stands up in Exodus 34 and he says these words, the Lord, the Lord. This was Moses asking for God's revelation. And, and so this was him asking for a holy visitation. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, which is the words um, Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh is the simple word that we get the word breath that God is as near as your last breath, as your current breath, and as your next breath. Is that the God you know? That's the picture of intimacy that we get. And the word for Elohim is the word of both creator and judge, which sounds sort of uncomfortable until you realize how God has already judged us. You are my beloved with whom I'm well pleased. And he says these words, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, who's slow to anger, who's abounding, uh, who's abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousand and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. 
God is trying to give us a better picture of who he is so that we can actually be the living presence and be a part of his salvation on earth. That's the kind of God that I want us to know. Not just to know him because we read a book, not just because we heard someone, but you had an experience with him. Do you know that God? Do you know him as a kind of in a head knowledge or do you know him personally? There's people that I know. I know if I saw Donald Trump on the street. I know if I saw Bono on the street, but they don't actually know me. But then there's friends, there's people that I know that see me in a crowd and go, I know him. That's a whole different kind of knowing. There is, a, uh, from 1979, a great old African-American preacher out of San Diego who challenged us to the question. And I I've heard this before, maybe you're familiar with it, but it came across my inbox this week and it just fit because we're talking about the names of God and how well you and I might know him in an experiential way. And so I just wanna close with this video and him just let your heart be moved. Do you know him? Do you know this Jesus? Because this is the name above all names, the name that conquered death, the name that conquered uh, the things that, that, that ruin life.